I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit AbyssBattery.com. Hey guys, and welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, as always, presented by our good friends over at Scentlock. This week, I've got an exciting guest, a good buddy of mine, Mr. Easton Holder from Raised Hunting. I recently was at a conference and I heard Easton give a speech on um, the decline in hunters and hunter recruitment and uh, the perception that we as hunters cast and the influence that we have. And I was incredibly blown away by the amount of information and the the just the well the well informed person that Easton was, being a 22 year old kid. And so I just had to have him back on to talk through some of those things. And so we dive into the decline in the hunting community and maybe the reasons as to why that's happening, how we as hunters can better recruit new hunters, the steps to take to inform those new hunters of our conservation efforts and informing them of why we hunt, not only teaching them to hunt. It's a very, very good conversation. I would highly encourage you to stay tuned in uh, because Easton really is is one of the younger generations who is doing it and doing it very well and has a very good head on his shoulders and so we dive into all of that the recruitment and the retention of hunters and the influence that we as hunters have it's a fantastic episode i hope you enjoy it welcome to bear archery's hunting 101 podcast where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. Guys, we currently have a massive giveaway going on. We are going to give you a 40-pound Bear Grizzly Recurve. I've also teamed up with one of my good friends, Mr. Nick Deeker from Nick's Knife Works, and he has made you a custom hand-forged knife. This is not some run-of-the-mill knife that you're going to buy from Walmart. This is custom-built, hand-forged, built to last, built to work. Phenomenal knives. Also, my friends over at Powder and String Outfitters are going to build you a custom set of Deer Crossing Archery Arrows for that new recurve that you're getting. So I'll personally call you, and we will figure out what shaft you want, what weight you want to run out front, how you want those arrows fletched. And we're going to get you a dozen custom-built arrows for that new recurve. Click the link in the description of this episode right now and go get entered to win. No purchase necessary, so there's nothing standing in your way from a new bow, a new knife, and some new arrows. Do it now. I'm an arrow junkie. I can't help it. I love building arrows. It's my passion. Uh, I can remember growing up, my dad, It was for him, it was sitting there sharpening knives. He loved to do that. For me, it's building arrows. It's sharpening broadheads. It's fletching arrows. It's, it's playing with arrow weights and FOCs and all that good stuff. I love going out in my bow shop and messing with arrows. A good friend of mine, Dan, he started a company called Arrow Junkie. 
First off, what caught my attention was the incredible-looking apparel. If you don't like Sasquatch carrying a bow, dragging a deer, there's something wrong with you. But as an arrow junkie, he sells me all the equipment that I need to build my own arrows, from arrow saws, arrow squares, arrow uh, jigs, everything that I need to build my own arrows. He's got all the fletchings, all the wraps, all the glues, everything, broadheads, fill tips, inserts, outserts, everything you need to build your own arrow. Also, he puts out some really good information on how to build your own arrows. Guys, it doesn't have to be difficult, and it really doesn't even have to be that expensive. You can build an entire arrow building kit uh, for you know 400 bucks or so, and then all of a sudden, you can build the best arrows that you can possibly have because you're building them yourself, you know them, um, you're putting the time and effort into them. So guys, I would highly encourage you to check out Arrow Junkie for all your arrow building needs. He's phenomenal. They're phenomenal. Go check it out. So Easton, my uh, my favorite of the holders. Oh, that's right. See, we're stepping up in the world now. <laughs> I mean, it, it's 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 nearly impossible. If if somebody says otherwise, they're a liar. Is 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 that, Warren in the room with you? He was. He just left. He's like, I'm just gonna nah, get out sucks. of here for this. <laughs> yeah, he sucks. No, uh, man. I, I'll tell you, I had, had never really had much much interaction with with you and. I called your brother. I was looking for a speaker at, at Pope and Young for the youth lunch. And uh, he's like, man, I'll be honest. My brother would crush that. And I'm like, wow, my brother would never have said that about me. He would have been like, yeah, I'd love to. Um, yeah. But you did, man. And, you know, got to spend some time with you that week. And I can't tell you how many comments I got or how many, you know, things were said about how, man, for a 22 year old kid, like he's got his head on right and uh so man way to represent your family way to represent hunting and and bear archery and and us as a hunting community because you you really did crush it well that is a huge huge compliment because i i mean i i like i can't even say i like i love doing things like that speaking engagements and stuff for a purpose but you yeah. always walk into it sitting there thinking okay in my head i think this is a good uh like a good topic or it's going to be impactful. And then until the end of it, you really don't know if it was worth it or not. And yeah. it seemed like at that Pope and young convention, there was very, people were very, very receptive of even, even though that I, I was talking about things that we may be doing wrong or we may need to do better and as a whole, and they still all recepted it extremely well. So I was, I was really happy about it and it's makes me proud to know that everybody else enjoyed it too. So well, and I, you know, to be honest with you, and I didn't tell you any of this like leading up to it because I didn't want to make you nervous. But, you know, we had, like last year yeah. we had uh, Michael Waddell come in and he was like, dude, I, I, I'm intimidated. I'm like, what do you mean? Like you do this all the time. He's like, yeah, but normally Chuck Adams isn't in the room and Tom Miranda and Tom Nelson and, you know, all these guys I grew up watching yeah. and reading. Like you, normally they're not sitting there listening to me. And, uh, but yeah. man, even from those guys, I was told like that kid has got it. Like, and, and I, I'm not too much older than you. I'm only 30, but still like I look back at, at just yeah. one, one generation younger and I'm like, man, the, a lot of these kids have the idea of hunting wrong. Like they have the purpose of it wrong. They have why we do it wrong. They, they don't represent it in a way that I'm proud of. And, uh, and then when you came in and, and, and gave your speech, man, I was like, he's one of the real ones for sure. 
Well, that's really good to hear. And especially the the amount of large names that were in the room and stuff there too, it, it is intimidating, but at the same time, it, when you think about something for hunting it, or for me, it's hunting something that you're passionate about, you believe about, and you're willing to do anything you can to make it better or keep it good. Um, whether there's the president in the room or not, I'm still going to yeah. say what I think needs to be said and needs to be done about it. Cause that's what I believe in. And so that takes a lot of pressure off, but. And kudos to you for that, man. Like that takes, that takes having a made up mind. Um, but it also takes facts yeah. and that's kind of why I wanted to have you on because throughout your speech, you shared a lot of facts about hunter recruitment and hunter retention. And, um, you guys, for those of you who don't know, uh, raised hunting runs camps for youth called raised at full draw. Um, which again, I think even that whole system there is one of the best systems I've ever seen for getting kids involved in hunting. You know, it's not giving them literature or having them out for a day to shoot skeet or, you know, sending them a bow for free. It's legitimately taking yeah. kids and teaching them the ins and outs of archery hands on and then and 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 trusting them with the tools to keep going. And so um yeah. that was it, that that in my opinion is how it should be done. Well, the like for the camps the really really intriguing part for me is not I mean I've grown up since I was like 2 we were doing these camps and the, uh if you look at, I don't know, I wouldn't, I don't know any statistics off the top of my head as far as the education now with the younger generations, but I do know that teachers have been struggling uh, tremendously as far as how to teach the younger generations and stuff because it changes. It's always going to be changing, and so a lot of teachers and things have had to be, having to be coming up with different ways to like read tests and teach kids in all these different ways so they can actually retain the knowledge the part that's crazy to me is these kids show up to camp and the way we teach them is everything that we're doing in each station and everything is directly from the actual bow hunter education book, but it's in a physical form, a representational form in a way that they do it. And so when you turn around on the Sunday, when they're done with, we're done with camp, we've never had a kid fail ever that final test. And they take the written test just like they would, if they were to go into the bow yeah. education class, but we do do like a little, like a study thing at the end of it, like just some questions and stuff for people to re, uh, reflect on the week or the weekend, I guess. And those kids take those tests. And uh, like I said, never, not one of them has ever failed. And I think it's because of how they're learning it. Well, I, um, I heard an interesting thing the other day about the idea that if you were to take you know, any it, take all every hunter. If you want to buy a license this next year, you've got to retake the test for hunter safety and bow hunter safety and bow hunter education. You got to retake those tests. How many people would fail? Like these guys have been hunting their whole life. Yeah. But but when it comes to the knowledge of it, they would fail tremendously because they don't practice those things. And so I think the way you guys do it, not only do the kid does the kid pass the test but they're also going to retain that information for the rest of their life. Whereas these guys who go in, you know, my course that I took was one day on a Saturday at a, at a church in like Mountainburg, Arkansas, like the most redneck thing ever. Yeah. They brought in chili dogs for lunch. <laughs> they talk to you for an hour and then you take a test. And it's like, 
But if I was yeah. to sit down with that test in front of me right now, would I be able to pass it? And um, I think the way that you guys teach and the way that you guys do these courses and these weekends and the camps, whatever you want to call them, um, I think you're setting kids up for a lifetime success of hunting, and it's encouraging. Well, I sure hope you're right because, I mean, the tests and the, the pictures and stuff we get from the kids would say that's, that is the case. But I just hope that it does retain with them and it sticks with them. And yeah, it, it's got to be some because the amount of kids that we've had sending us pictures now that have they started, they've never shot a bow and they started shooting a bow at camp. And then a couple of years later, we get pictures from them of them harvesting their first deer and stuff is absolutely phenomenal because it's not just one or two anymore. Now we're getting 20, 30, 40 kids that send us every year harvest pictures. That That's they, awesome. Just because they went to camp. Yeah. That's cool. Now, how long ago did the camp start? I mean, did you go to a camp as a kid? Yeah. So they originally, <clears throat> before it was actually, we had formed, raised it full draw specifically as a nonprofit. We had started when, in what, 2000, 2002, I think. Um, and so my dad got invited to a kid's camp that's where this all started to teach an elk calling seminar for the kids. And after that, they really liked having him there. He became, he was on the board, um, after that. And then he started bringing us. So after I was like three or four or something like that, I started going. And then in, uh, 2010 or 11, somewhere in there is where we wanted to make a little bit more of a drive towards bow hunting as opposed to just a youth camp in the mountains. Um, and to help these kids get like connected with the DNR and the uh, game wardens and stuff so that they can learn and get their bow hunter certifications. That's when we formed raised at full draw. And when we moved to Iowa, we started that and now we're in six, seven different States this year. So that's awesome, man. Um, I do want to jump in. I want to jump into your speech at Pope and young and kind of, uh, the information that was shared and the, the idea that was casted, um, the vision that was casted, if you will. Um, before I do, though, I want to ask you about your hat. Are you a coyote hunter? <laughs> I am. I, I have a hard time saying I am because I started coyote hunting last year for the first time, killed one. I only had one shot. And then this year I started going. I got my own rifle and everything, and I've been only hand calling. So yeah. it's been like a new obsession for me because I am, I'm starting from square one. I've been learning. uh how to how to hand call what kinds of calls and stuff to use so i'm eating up with it but dude it's fun it's a lot of fun i want to travel do you guys have a lot there oh yeah dude you come here i've got some buddies that thermal hunt um and so yep. we hunted like we hunted last um well the last night of the season uh was a couple weeks ago and we hunted and we shot uh, seven dogs in about four hours. And uh, I mean, there's nights they killed 10, the last 12, night of the 15. season. Yeah. There's a coyote for thermals. Season? For thermals. You can only hunt thermal because they got to stop it for turkey season. Um, you know, they stop it. Oh, I got you. Okay. Yeah. The third, like to hunt at night with thermals is, is oh. seasoned out that way. Like during deer season, they're not out there, you know, with yep. thermals. Um, that's right. And so, I remember reading, they say, as long as no like legal season is in, you can yeah. use thermals. Yep. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's the next nice. one I want to get into is night hunting. 
Yeah, how, dude, it's how, fun. How, in your opinion, do you do you have you done it during the day and at night? I not as much during the day. I mean, I have, but but not as much. Yeah. Um, but I don't do any hand calling. Like I, we just throw out Fox Pros or you know whatever we're using the and um, yeah. the dirty duck ones or whatever, and and shoot them with you know rifles at two hundred yards. I mean, yeah, I've that is uh, I only go during the day because I don't have a setup yet for going at night. And everybody I've talked to is like, man, going during the day, it's ten times harder than what it is at night. Cause they're oh my gosh, actually yes. aware of their, they they feel a lot safer at night. And then they, I tell them I'm doing hand calls and they're like, Holy cow, you're doing all that. I'm like, yeah, trust me. I've only gotten two shots this year. So, but I'm learning a lot, but yeah. Yeah. During all the day, close. man, I mean, it's difficult. I called one in for a buddy that he, one of my buddies shot one at 20 yards. Cause I called it in too close on accident. <laughs> really? That's cool. Yeah, yeah, I um the yeah. first time I ever thermal hunted for them, I was sitting there and I was on the scope and and I had pig hunted before, um uh, but even that's a little different because at night with pigs you can walk right up to them you, you can just keep walking as you look through your scope, and uh, but the first time I went coyote hunting with thermals, this dog runs in and uh, the guy was hunting says shoot it I said how far is it because he had a rangefinder in his. And, uh, he said yeah. 42 and I'm like, dude, that looks like it's a mile and a half away. And he's like, yeah, it's at 42. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like he's right there. And so I shot him just because the thermal on, looks so different. Yeah. Just looks so far away. I mean, there's huh. no way there's no depth perception. I mean, you can really tell like yeah. if they're, if they're 500 yards away, like you can tell, like, cause you can see the next tree line or whatever. But, um, when they're that close, yeah. man, it's just, all you see is a black dog. Um, or white, whatever, you know, whatever setting huh. you're running, but, um, it's a lot of fun, man. I'll have you out next year for sure. Well, don't, don't get me too excited about that one. Cause I'll start spending way too much money and I already spent too much on hunting. <laughs> <laughs> um, so walk me through kind of, kind of the idea, um, that, that you, that you gave at the Pope and Young convention. Um, so the, the, I guess for the people that weren't there, didn't see it. Um, the premise of what I was talking about at the Pope and Young convention was to bring awareness to the fact of, uh, the, I guess the population of hunters itself for one. Um, and number two, how we're carrying ourselves as hunters, because I think that there's a lot of people out there that are carrying ourselves really, really well and portray hunters as good guys. And, um, everything that we're doing and educational, how we're doing it, why we're doing it. But then on the other side, I think there's a lot of people in probably the vast majority of hunters that are not necessarily in the wrong of, uh, Hey, I do what I want and I'm proud of what I do. So I'm going to do it however I want and you can deal with it or not. Um, which isn't necessarily wrong, but at the same time, it gives hunters as a whole, a heck of a, a, a bad look compared to, just doing it respectfully, whether people agree with it or not. And so I wanted to talk about that a lot at the Pope and Young convention, as well as how to get others involved, whether that be a youth hunter or just one of your buddies, no matter how old or how young you yeah. are. Um, but give, giving yourself the ability, because if you're already a hunter, in my opinion, it's already your obligation right there. You already have the ability to go hunt, bring somebody else with you to get them involved too. So, yeah. Well, man, I think, you know, this idea, and I've heard it from, from some people and, 
this idea people are like, man, we're losing all our hunting ground because we're having all these new hunters. You know, all these new hunters want to come on public ground and we're losing, you know, there's there's not enough room for us all. And I'm like, well, actually, there's there's a large decrease in the hunting population. Like it's not, you know, we're having a, a new yeah. generation come in, but the the people who are buying licenses are dying off quicker than than the new kids that are coming in and in a more uh in, in a bigger number. You know, for every 10 hunters that, well, that you can, die you off, you can't even or, compare that. Yeah. Like you, your, your older generation from like, like you, maybe you remember it or not, but from 40 years old and on out of the hunting population, that's over 50% of the population. And as you go younger, if you get below 18, the amount of kids that are 18 and below that are hunters is like 12 and a half to 15%. And so if you take, I mean, that's, that's right. Just over a million, if I remember right. And so that's just assuming all those kids stay for one and keep doing yeah. it. And number two, that's not even relatively close to replacing the ages 60, 60 and plus you're at four to 5 million hunters just in that age category. Yeah. So yeah, the, the so ratio does not add up as far as that whole idea of like, well, if we create new hunters, we're going to lose our hunting ground. That's bogus. Like, A, we need more hunters to better manage the deer. Well, not just deer, but elk populations and and turkey populations and you name it. We need more hunters to help better manage those, yep. those species. Um, so by creating more hunters, we create more opportunities because there will be more deer, more turkeys, more elk, more moose, whatever you name it. Um, and more money for conservation agencies to fund research to better the deer population. Um, yeah, but hundred percent, I mean, I, man, and, and with kids and you mentioned it, you said, if they stay, what you see is a lot of these kids, they want to yep. get into it cause it looks cool. It, it looks fun. And one of two things either happen, either they have sucky experiences, you know, they go out and it's, it's snowing and it's bitter cold and it's windy and they don't see any deer. So like, this is stupid. This is not, it's not glamorous. Like I thought it was and, or vice versa. They go out and they kill a deer and they're like, well, that was fun. I'm really glad I did that. And then they're not a hunter. Like yep. it was just something they wanted to mark off and now that they marked it off. They move on. Um, and so that, that number yep. doesn't stay like it doesn't it doesn't, it doesn't maintain. Um, and so we, yeah. as, as a community have to and figure you, out a way to, to help it. And you, you can play the devil's advocate on that is you don't, you don't have kids, you're going to have kids that don't stick with it. That's just about anything, any hobby lifestyle, anything at all. The, the majority of people may not stick with whatever they're going to do, but you can also look at the other side of, okay, if they're not doing it, then maybe other people are getting involved in doing it and you're getting, gaining new people. Well, the only way you can bank on that or count on that is if we're actively getting new people involved. And if none of us are doing that, then you really don't have anything to, to you don't have a leg to stand on there. Right. Um, one of the main things, like what you just mentioned it, one of my biggest pet peeves and man, I'll argue it, um, and argue it and argue it. And I'll continue to do it is when people come up to me and the, whether they, whether they are the guys that are hunting public, they hunt private, they have their own land, but the amount of people that are complaining about, well, you can't get any permission on land. You can't get any private land. You have to go to public. If you go to public, there's way too many hunters on it now. Um, 
and and it absolutely drives me up a wall because this is coming from personal experience um, in multiple states is what it really comes from because we lived in Montana, we moved to Iowa. The whole permission thing, number one, it's never, in my opinion, it's never been easy to go get permission. Now, granted, it's gotten few and few, few and further between as far as where you're finding permission. But all it all it comes down to is, are you willing to knock on a hundred doors and get ninety nine no's and one yes? Yeah. And the majority of guys aren't. And so the majority of guys that are complaining, I can't find a piece of land that nobody will let me hunt. Okay. Number one, it's nobody's obligation to let you hunt because it's their land. And number two, you have to get off the couch and go knock on enough doors and be respectful and carry yourself in a way that makes them actually feel like they could benefit having you come hunt on their land. And then if you do get to that point, you have to treat their land as it's your, as if it's your own and if not better, because a lot of these farmers, I think in, at least in our area, a lot of them don't let hunting anymore because they've had bad experiences with previous hunters and all that's doing is ruining it for the next guy. Yes. And so the private land argument, in my opinion, is non-existent because they say it's so hard to get private land. And right now people think that's just because our family has a TV show that we have a tons and tons of private land. Well, as much as I would love for that to be the case, it's not. Now, granted, my dad's worked his life away basically to, to have his own piece of land that he can own and hunt. And he does that. And he has a couple leases and stuff like that. Then you have me that's in a new point in my life. I'm not, I don't have the financial capability to go buy land or to lease land or anything. So I've done everything I can. I hunt all permission properties for everything. That's what I do. And, and I have found ways that, Hey, I can trade some work for a farmer to lease this or do this. And so the, the argument just really drives me nuts when you can't get on private land or you can't lease land and stuff. And it's like, Come on, if you're willing to put the work in and be a respectful person and actually benefit the farmer, not just yourself, there's no reason you're not going to get on it. Well, and that's, I've done a full episode before on how to knock on doors. Um, and people, that's just a, a lost art because everybody like just expects it to happen. So when you walk up onto a, a property and you act as though you're entitled to hunt their ground because... Well, nobody hunts it, so let me hunt it. I mean, the fact that you act entitled and even think you're entitled to hunt their ground is bogus. Like, I've told people a hundred yep. times, hey, clean yourself up, like, before you go and knock on a door. Like, don't roll up there, dude. You know, you're out in the chicken coop and you're covered in feathers and blood and, and nasty mud and you're like, can yep. I hunt your property? Clean yourself up, look presentable, look respected, look respectful as well walk up talk with them with respect talk with them with dignity and like you said man i'm a i take my kids like you can call it whatever you want i take my kids because then they see oh he's a family man like he's not going to be out here on the ground with you know having massive parties if you know the people he's going to bring is going to be his kids and i mean you know i take my kids i offer them some meat when I do harvest it. Um, I know you don't hunt. Yep. If you would like some venison, uh, I would love to provide you some that came from your own ground. Um, I offered, like you said, man, dude, I've gotten so many permissions by saying, Hey, I noticed, um, I noticed you weren't able to mow around your pond. Would you like me to weed eat the banks of your pond for you? And, uh, they're like, you would do yep. that. And I'm like, hundred percent. I would. Um, 
you know, are just offering, uh, man, like I, uh, one time I knocked on a door and quickly found out she was a widow. And so I just said, well, do you have anybody to come mow your ground and, and, and help you maintain the property and trim your bushes? And, and she said, no, I don't. And I said, well, I would love to be able to help you do that. And, and she said, well, I, I still, I, I still couldn't let you hunt. And I'm like, that's okay. You need help. I, I want to help you. And so after a year of doing that, she said, you know, I am going to let you hunt. And, and that's what it took for me. That's just the difference though, in not, um, I guess I, I don't know how, how to word it exactly. Cause what you're doing there is not necessarily just for hunting. What you're doing there is it's a, it's a morality thing that you have set in your own personal characteristics. And so that's something you believe in. That's something that you think is the right thing to do. It's something that you're willing to act on as the right thing to do. And in turn, what that does is it's, it's creating a relationship with somebody. Granted, you may benefit from the relationship, but they're benefiting from the relationship as well. And over time, it's, it's not a bad thing. And to be honest, it's probably the best way to do something because one, you're doing yourself a good deed. Everybody needs to be doing their good deeds. And two, they're getting some company maybe, and they're getting some help with something and you yeah. may get a hunt out of it. And so a lot of people aren't, a lot of people are willing to just knock on the door and say, Hey, can I hunt? It's a no. Okay, done. The moment you're willing to help them with something is a whole nother story because it is more of a convenience for them to have you around and hunt than it is to not have you because you benefit them. And I've made it a rule as well. Anybody who gives me permission and they don't, you know, they're not asking for money. Every year I send them something for Christmas, whether it's, you know, if they are outdoorsmen, um, a Cabela's gift card, a Bass Pro gift card, if they're not, you know, uh, a box of, of nuts or whatever. I mean, just, hey, Merry Christmas. Uh, I'm glad that you're yep. a friend of mine now. Um, and, man, I've had people like that changes. I could just you're, you're creating a friendship and a relationship. Um, <clears throat> but, man, I had I had a buddy. Well, actually, his name's Andrew. He works for Trophy Ridge. Um, he de he designed the new digital react. And um, yep. We were talking one time we were on a hunt in Missouri together and, and he said, dude, I got permission to hunt this property uh, because I know how to butcher animals. And I told him, hey, I can save you tons of money by helping you butcher your animals. Uh, I'll, I'll butcher your animals for you if you let me hunt your ground. And uh, they were like, done, deal. And uh, he's like, dude, that's that's yeah. been a long-standing relationship, like years and years and years and years of me helping them butcher their animals. And through that, it's been like, Hey, do you want some beef? Do you want some chicken? Do you want some, some pork, whatever for your family? And so he's like, I've gotten meat out of it too. Like, and so man, if, if you'll look at it as not being something to get hunting ground, but, but you know, a you're representing me as a hunter. You're representing Easton as a hunter. You're representing all of us as hunters by the way that you carry yourself when you're asking for, for ground. Um, but also yep. it's not what, what's just in it for me. How can I create a relationship with this person to, to benefit both of us? And then I'll be able to hunt. Yep. hundred percent. And, and like, like I have a piece right now that <clears throat> I'm going on, uh, I don't know, five years, something like that. And, um, uh, that I've been hunting for a long time. And what I started with, like when I first started him, he was, he's an older gentleman. He's alone. He doesn't have anybody with him. He runs a huge farm all on his own. And when I asked him, I, he, the only time I could find him one time was he was laying under a combine 
working on his comp, trying to fix his combine so he could keep harvesting. And I went out and I talked to him and said, Hey, if you need any help or anything, I'd be happy to help you. And from that point right there is when I started to be able to hunt. And then after that, like, I, I don't know, I couldn't tell you the amount of times that this man is overwhelmed. He's, he's had a lot of family go away. And so he's left at this huge farm. Like he's gotten, had cows get out and stuff. Well, when you take the time and you go put the cows back in the pasture for him, you just call and say, Hey, I saw you had a couple cows out or whatever. I put them back in for you. That is as simple as that sounds is huge, huge, huge for a farmer, something that they don't have to think, think about like, Oh man, I just got a call from the sheriff that I have cows out now. They're already back in, you know, and that's been five years now. And I now have he's he separated literally for me 80 acres of his property and said hey as long as you're willing to keep helping me do some work this 80 acres is all you you can have it and you can control it for like i know you want you would like to lease but i don't need any money so you just help me with work here's 80 acres and so that's five years of i never i never anticipated he would do something like that but that's what the relationship has come to yeah that's awesome man and i think you know, I can't tell you how many times, and this is kind of going back to the idea of like, well, I can't recruit new hunters. I don't have anywhere to take them. I can't, you know, I can't tell you how many pieces I've got permission on or how many pieces I've even paid to lease. And then you start hunting and you're like, man, this just, this sucks. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. There's no shooters out here. And I give it up. Um, I, I turn it in, if you will. I, I let somebody else have it. Uh, but what's happening? Yep. What happens if I say, you know what, this piece of ground, I'm probably never really going to hunt, but I'm going to keep paying the, man, I've had leases for 200 bucks a year, you know, and I'm like, I'll keep paying the 200 bucks just so I have a place that I can take people to. Just so I have a place. I know yep. if I take a new hunter here, I'm not going to burn any of my big deer. Uh, you know, they're not going to educate any of my big deer. Um, I keep a place that sucks just to take my boy, like just to take my son. Yeah. Because I know we'll see some does, but he's not going to mess up any big bucks. Um, there's turkeys on it, so we can go out there and chase turkeys and and just have fun together. Um, and I pay for that ground, knowing I'll never really kill anything off this. I'll never. I mean, this is never going to be worth it to me to actually hunt. But it gives me a place to one take my son, and then B, you know, if a neighborhood kid, man, I can't tell you how many times how many times neighborhood kids have stopped by and asked me to help them learn how to shoot a bow. And you know, it's because I've got 3d targets all in the backyard and they can see in my backyard and they're like, do you have, Oh man, can you teach me? And I'm like, keeping that piece of ground gives me opportunities to not only take my kids. Um, but now if one of those kids that comes by and stops by actually becomes a hunter, I can say, Hey, I'd love to take you out. Um, and just share a morning with yep. you, you know, in the woods and, and teach you some, some woodsmanship. And, and I have a place now to take them that I don't have to burn one of my, one of my good spots, you know? Um, you have so to that's, work. yeah, it's a perfect, I, I, it's a perfect example. I, I 100% anticipated that when I got, when he told me that 80 acres, I about jumped out of my out of my shoes. Cause I was like, are you serious? This will be like my first ever piece of property that I can kind of manage. And, uh, I was super excited because I haven't, I haven't even had it for, I don't know, not even six months yet. I well, January 1st is when I started and I'm sitting there like super pumped for deer season. Like I can't wait to find, like start 
checking on deer and stuff out here, just knowing that this place that I can kind of control. And before, before we even get to deer season, obviously I've now already had two new hunters out there and I have sat there. I'm like, man, I haven't even thought about hunting it because I'm so, it's been so cool. And so like, I can't even describe the feeling of being able to say, Hey, I have a place that me and you can go. I can take you out there. Let's do it because I don't have to ask somebody else. I don't have to ask for permission here or there. It's like, you want to go, let's go. And that's been so far a ton of fun. Uh, another tip, um, when asking for permission is say, I'll only bow hunt. Cause a lot of guys just don't want guns. Like they don't want guns on their property. They've got cows, they've got kids, they've got livestock. Yeah. they're, They're so worried about guns. And they tell you no right off the bat, and I've had that happen. And then I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know. And then I mentioned bow hunting, and they're like, oh, well, you're are you just bow hunting? And I'm like, yeah. If you don't want, I'll never take a gun out there if you don't want. And they're like, well, yeah, I would be okay with yeah. that, um, because they know you're shooting a bow and and not going to be slinging bullets all over their property. And so that's another big tip is it you know just tell them specifically right off the bat I'll only be bow hunting. Um, I'm never going to come out here and shoot guns and, and, uh, that's, a, that's another good tip now. And I hate to, to jump back, but coyote hunting, that's another reason I really like it is because anybody in the world will give you permission to coyote hunt. Even the biggest of hunters good like, connections, you will find, <laughs> you will get access to hunt some of the best coyote ground in the world from some deer hunters because they're like, yes, if you'll help me kill off my coyotes, hundred percent and i've got places that oh yeah 200 inch deer are killed off of that i can coyote hunt because they want the coyotes taken care of and then you have created an opportunity to where you know i I really don't have anywhere to take you deer hunting but man i love coyote hunting i would love to take you coyote hunting um and or small game turkey like when we're creating new hunters i'm a big believer in you don't have to take them on an elk hunt. Like you don't have to take them on a moose hunt or like some shouldn't magical, take them on a tough, tough hunt yeah. first. Yeah. Yeah. You, and, and even deer, man, like, um, did you get to meet Jack Frost at convention? I don't think so. No. Um, the, he's just an absolute legend in bow hunting. First guy to ever complete the super slam. Um, and just, you know, he's he's probably 85 years old and uh, still getting after it and killed everything you could ever possibly dream of killing. And uh, one night we got into this conversation. He's like, you know what? I hate seeing kids jump straight to shooting a 140-inch whitetail. Like their first animal is 140-inch whitetail. Oh, yeah. Like get them started with small game. Like get them started shooting rabbits and squirrels and, and birds and, you know, ducks or whatever. Get them started in small game and then work them up. Like... To create a new hunter, yeah. I don't have to take them to my number one deer spot and let them shoot anything that moves. I can take them out rabbit hunting yeah. or coon hunting or turkey hunting or frog gigging, whatever. Like I can take them out to do something in the yeah. outdoors. I don't have to jump them straight to you want to go shoot my big deer. Like, no, I don't have to. And maybe I shouldn't. Maybe yeah. I, maybe I shouldn't like. No, and I think that, like we we've talked about this many times on some of the podcasts that we've done, and and what that is is everybody as a hunter goes through stages, and the the part that I struggle with that is because I feel like 
well, everybody's almost always in a different stage. And I always feel like when you're trying to teach somebody, you're somewhat being hypocritical in times because you're at a different stage than what they are. But my point with that is that like when you're a kid, a kid, even if it's not a kid, if it's somebody, an older person or just a regular, I don't know, aged person, but is going hunting for the first time, in my opinion, you need, they need to get experience first and they need to understand why they're hunting and the, the importance behind it. Because the moment that they have that deer or turkey or whatever it is that comes in that they are going to take its life. When they do that, I want to make sure that the moment that they, they pull the trigger on whatever they're shooting, they understand what they just did and they have the appreciation for what they just did. And that's, that's your stage one. And I think that it gyps a lot of people when, um, they get lucky or somebody puts them on a 180 inch deer or 150 inch deer or 120 inch deer for that matter for their first animal, whether they meant to or not. One, it's setting them up for being not necessarily spoiled, but you just got a big chunk of the pie before even understanding how to make the pie, if that makes sense. And, 100%. and then at the same time, then what are they supposed to do? Are they supposed to just, just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger? And it's going to get harder and harder and harder when you shouldn't even be focusing on that until you've gotten to a point of success in your, uh, in your field or happy with where you're at and ready to take the next challenge or the next step to go up. And so Dude, I think I that a, they get almost shorted when that happens. We had a kid, uh, and for his first deer, and he came from a non-hunting family, so he didn't even have family that understood what was going on. He killed a 240-inch whitetail for his first deer. And, like, oh my in, a, gosh. in an instant, like, so he calls me, he was... 17 years old, 16 years old at the time. He calls me, says, Hey, can you could tell he just shot a deer? Hey, man, can you, dude, you got, can you come see this deer I just shot? And I'm like, Oh, buddy, I'm like, I'm headed out of town, man. We're, we're headed to Arkansas, visit family. And, uh, he's like, Okay. And, uh, calls me back five minutes later. He's like, Dude, come on. Can you, you, you can you please come see this before you leave? And I'm like, Man, I really can't do. We're loading up the car. You know, I've already got the kids loaded up in the car. And, he said, okay, and finally calls me a third time. And he says, we're right down here at the at Gaston's, which is a store just right down the road. And he said, they're starting to measure it. Uh, could you just swing by here? And I'm like, yeah, I'll swing by. It's on my way out of town. I'll swing by. And so I drive in, and I see them all around the bed of a truck with a tape measure. And I'm like, I was expecting to roll up and see a 130-inch whitetail, 120-inch whitetail, a good whitetail, just based off of how he was acting. Yeah. You know, I didn't. I know he didn't shoot a forky. And, um, I roll up and there's a 240 inch whitetail laying in the back of this truck. And I'm like, dude, what did you just oh do? Oh my gosh. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, and I pulled him away. I'm like, Hey, could you come? Could you, could you talk to me for a minute? Could you step? You know, I wanted to talk to him in private and I just made it very clear to him. I'm like, listen, dude, um, what just happened? That never happens. Like, dude, I've never dreamed of seeing a 240 inch whitetail. And I've hunted, you know, for 20 years yeah. now. I've never dreamed of seeing a 240-inch whitetail. And the population that has killed a 241-inch whitetail is like 0.01% of, of hunting community, not the world, of hunters. And, um, yeah. like, but I, I, I tried to just teach him, like, that's never going to happen to you again. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, but 
that's never that's never going to happen again. Um, and you can't go, you can't keep hunting and expecting I, that to happen. I, I am pretty sure or pretty positive that we've been in this industry long enough that somebody's going to listen to that and say, "Man, you should just you should just be hyping him up, telling him he did a good job. You shouldn't do that kind of thing." And I will 100% disagree with those people because what you did there is is the hard thing to do because you can walk up on a deer of that caliber and I will, I could hundred percent in all honesty tell you, I'm not going to be jealous. I'm not going to be mad or no. anything else, but I am going to be worried for that kid. I'm going to be very proud of him saying, Holy oh, cow, I was you just very proud. That, like you just said, 99, yeah, 99% of the world or hunters have never even fathomed. But the hardest part about that is that you have to take, especially in your situation, it's a kid. You have to take a kid down from a level of wherever they're at, which is probably pretty high and say, Hey, you need to understand that this is not common and it set them up so that next year when they do have a hundred inch deer walk in that they should want to shoot still because that's where they're at in their stage of their, their level of hunting. And, and because if, if, if they don't understand that, then they're going to struggle with the fact that every time they go in the woods and they don't see a 240 inch deer, you're going to lose a hunter. And, yeah. and so I guess props to you to be able to even do that because in my opinion, a lot of people wouldn't, even if they thought it, they aren't going to take the time to do that to that kid because they think it's going to diminish him. But I'd be willing to bet. Well, do you, do you still talk to this kid? I built him a set of arrows today. So he still hunts. Yeah. Still hunts, man. And, uh, okay, and I'm not saying exactly. that's because so of me. You have done your job. And I, I'm not saying that's I because would be, of me. I would put a lot of money on. But I did. I would, I, and, because I'd and be willing for, to bet that kid doesn't know what to expect now. You're right, and and for for and, those and you, and, for those who are listening and think that I did wrong, don't get me wrong. I hyped the kid up to no end. He was actually featured in like three three um mag uh, not magazines uh calendars, and I've got those calendars hanging right over there, and they're still on February of 2019 because that's where his deer's at. Um. <laughs> I hyped the kid up to no end, um, but I still wanted to just teach him like, dude, you can't, you can't continue to hunt expecting that to be the norm. Like you can't even go on a mule deer hunt and expect that to be the norm. And, um, you know, he, he is, he's all in man. And that was probably, I think he killed it in 20, 2019. Um, so yeah, he's, he's still going strong and, and he's evolved now that was with a gun and now he's shooting bows and, and shot a, a nice deer last year, one one fifty, one sixty, somewhere in there. Uh shot Heck a nice yeah. deer last year and he's he's progressing and moving on. And um yeah, I mean, but that's the problem is these kids, they get a, a taste for what hunting is. And like I said earlier, it's either negative and they're like, eh, this isn't really what I signed up for. Or it's like this explosion of like, well, that was so cool, man. I can't believe I did that. Check mark, let's move on. Um and so I was just trying yeah. to teach him, like, dude, you've started where people dream of ending, not even where they do end, where they dream of ending. And um, don't let that taint you. Like, don't let that mess you up. Don't let that um, mess up your idea of what hunting is, because that's not what it is. Like, that's not um, how, yeah. it, how it acts. What happened was, fun fact, taxidermist gets done with it and calls him and um, what happened was they found a 22 bullet lodged in the back of that deer's jaw. And so he was just a classic mainframe eight, small little eight, 
really is what he was. Uh, but with that oh. wound in the back of his jaw, he just went nuts, like just stuff everywhere. And um, when I wow. figured that out, I, I actually called um, Nick Penizzato, who is the, the president of the NDA. And I'm like, hey, this is what just happened. This is what they told me happened um, with the with the bullet in the jaw and all that stuff. And he said, Dylan, you know, it's very rare. It's very rare. But it is possible that the very next year that deer would go right back down to being a, a typical little small frame eight. Um, so he killed a deer that really shouldn't have even. So he wasn't a smart deer. He was a young, small deer, um, but just, you know, got got that wound. And I'll send you a picture of it. Just went crazy. And uh, did, they, did they age that deer? Yeah, I don't remember what they said. Um, I, I think I could be wrong. I think three and a half. Um, but, but, oh my gosh, I could be wrong. Um, but yeah, just a crazy, I'm trying to pull up my photos while we talk and see if I can't find it. But yeah, just a, a freak of a, of a thing. And, you know, again, while you're trying to be as happy for him as you can, you've got to take that as, as a hunter who I want to see him continue to hunt. I had to take that opportunity, uh, to invest in, in the future of him as a hunter. And, uh, you know, not to say like you did something wrong, not to say you shouldn't have shot it, not to say you don't deserve it, not to say any of that, but to say like, man, I'm so happy for you, but I also don't want to see this ruin you. Um, so here are some things to, to know about what just happened. Um, and something, something that was said worked because he's still here. So. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I say props to you on that one. Guys, I know, I know, uh, cheap, interchangeable blade knives, they're all in the rage. Change your blade right there, and you can keep going, and it's cool, and I have one in my bag, and I like to keep one in my bag. However, there is no replacement for a well-built, hand-forged knife, something that I know is dependable, it's strong. If I pick it up, it's going to be sharp, it's going to be ready to go, um, these right here are knives built by my good friend, Nick Deeker, Nick's Knife Works. And um, the most beautiful part of this is it's not cut and dry. You don't just pick out a knife and say, well, I guess that's the one I need. No, 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 no. He built this one specifically to the length that I wanted it. I wanted this to fit right on the side of my binocular harness, so it was always there, always ready for me to grab. He built this one to fit really small in my pocket uh, for an everyday carry. Guys, a good hand-forged knife is worth its weight in gold. Go check out Nick Deeker at nicksknifeworks.com. What do you think the the biggest way that we as a hunting community represent ourselves in a poor way? What what what's the biggest thing that you think stands out as being something has to change here? Uh, that's my issue with that is I have multiple things rolling through my head. Um, I guess, I guess as a whole, if you look at like across the entire nation, um, I would, I would say as much as I hate to say it would probably be social media, social media. And I'll, I'll put that next to social media and how you, um, are taking your photos slash storing whatever your harvest is like when you're driving around those two things kind of go hand in hand because it's to the public people that you can't really control who's seeing it. Um, and the, and the reason I say that is because you see tons and tons of pictures of 
like harvest pictures. And I, I 100% support the fact that you want to take pictures. I do it too. Um, but the issue that I have with it is when you don't take the time to, to clean that animal up a little bit, or maybe we all know that if you put a perfect lung shot on an animal, there's going to be a lot of blood and there's going to be, a, it's probably going to be coming out of its mouth. There's probably going to be bubbles and blood all over the body section too, from how much blood came out. That's not necessarily something that you need to portray on a social media post. And so taking, like I said it at the Pope and Young Convention, I keep a towel. All of us do. We keep a small towel rolled up in our backpack. And so when we harvest something or we get a deer and we're going to go take pictures with it, I can take two seconds and I can wipe the blood off. I can put, if the tongue's hanging out, you can cut the tongue off or you can put it back in the mouth and make that animal look presentable and as respected as it did when it was on the hook. And what that does is it, it, yeah, it's still a, a dead animal there, but at the same time, you're giving it the respect of the beauty of what it is without tainting it with all the blood and the gore and the violence that it doesn't have to be because hunting isn't about the blood, the gore and the violence and how you did it. It's about the conservation, the stories, the traditions. And when you do harvest something, you're doing it in the quickest way possible. And so you don't want to see all the violence of that and you don't need to be portraying that to everybody else. So you have to think about uh, how negative of a look that is. Cause even if you're looking presentable behind the animal and the deer's just sitting there and there's blood all over naturally in somebody's head that isn't a hunter, they see blood and they see violence and they see gore and they see negative. And that's not what we need. We need positive. We need people to understand why it's important for what we do and that we don't hate animals. We don't want to just kill animals. We actually love and appreciate and respect the animals. I uh I need to send you a book. Um one of my one of my buddies Peter Churchborn uh from the NRA wrote a book called How to Talk About Hunting. And um basically the NRA did all these studies throughout however many years and they can tell you what a middle-aged Chinese woman in New York thinks about hunting. Um based off all these polls, all these questions, all these and it's just a, a really cool yeah a really cool read. Um, it's not cool for the general public. Like it's not a fun book to read. It's very statistical and very like informational and just a lot of numbers. But in that book, yeah. A, the, the largest, the most welcomed form of hunting is bow hunting, uh, because they see it. The non hunting public sees it as the most fair chase. Um, but also, Research showed throughout that that when you show the non-hunting public the full process, not just the kill, not just a grip and grin, but when you show the non-hunting public the full process of I harvested this animal and now my family is eating that animal um, and my kids are eating that and my wife is eating that and my you know my body is like we're getting we're getting the protein that we need we're getting we're getting we're getting things from that. Um, that's the best way to portray us to the non-hunting public when showing them the full process. And I think that's what a lot of hunters yep. don't do well, you know, because they just post that grip and grin and it's all about angling the deer. So he looks the biggest and, and tilting his head down just a touch. So the sun hits the backside of the tine, So you can see those better and they'll look bigger and all that good stuff. But we neglect to show people, non-hunters and kids alike that are getting into this, 
We don't just do that for a gripping grin. We don't just do that so we have a photo yeah. for Instagram. We do that because, A, it creates food for my family. Is my family going to starve if I don't kill a deer? No. We got a Walmart. Um, but I get to give my kids wholesome protein that I know where it came from. I know what's in it. I know it's clean. But, B, I am a conservationist by hunting. I am helping the deer population by hunting and the non-hunting public and kids alike. That's something they need to learn in order to be able to a create new hunters and, and B retain them. Yeah. And I, I think every, every hunter, um, there's lots of things that all of us as hunters need to do. I do think though that, uh, for instance, like I worked, I worked at a, a really, really, really big gym here in Des Moines um, for two or three years and filled with people that are not, not hunters don't agree with hunting. Um, but they all knew that I was a big hunter and they, and I was not, I didn't, I never hid that. I never tried to act like I was against hunting or anything. I was just who I was. And the majority of times, if, if you don't handle yourself correctly, those types of people are just going to write you off and say that hunters suck. But in that situation, Every time that somebody would say something to me about hunting, it wouldn't necessarily be bad, but if they were to ask me something about hunting, I know that they aren't very educated on it. So I would give them the most educated answer I could to help them understand more so as to what I'm doing or what, what I'm going hunting today after work kind of thing. And in turn, I think that that, that in that small area really showed people and opened the light to them that. Oh, hey, hunters aren't all that bad. And then after the, some people would ask, I'd have more questions about things, and which is a good thing to get the general public asking about those things. But my point with that is that as a hunter, you you should prepare yourself or understand that, okay, if somebody comes up to me and asks me why I'm, where, why I'm doing this or why I'm hunting or something, we don't need to go jump back in the corner and put ourselves in defense mode. You just need to have an answer prepared for why it's beneficial and why it's important because then you're not being aggressive to them. You're not being defensive, nothing. You can actually help them understand and educate. And that turns around to them. Now that's in their head that, Oh, Hey, I just asked this hunter and he wasn't a jerk about it or anything. He actually helped me understand it. Whether they want to agree with it right there, they're probably going to think later on down the road. That makes a lot of sense. And now I don't have a negative perspective of them. Yeah. And that's what, you know, a lot of the non-hunting public just needs just needs in my opinion to see hunters in a normal life. Because all they see is on social media. They don't maybe they don't have a hunter in their life. So all they see again is the gripping grins and the boy I'm happy something died and that mentality of like you bloodthirsty animals. And when yep. non-hunters just see us functioning as regular human beings, and they see us interacting with our wives and our kids and they see us at work and they see us they're like, man, you're actually not that bad of a guy. Like I thought you were just some bloodthirsty animal. And, um, yeah, you know, I had this, I had this lady comment and I've told this story before, so I don't want to be redundant, but I had this lady comment on one of my posts and she was like, you filthy rotten scoundrel. I hope people hunt you down and you know, whatever, whatever they always say. And I, and I just messaged yeah. her back. I, did, I, didn't, I didn't put this on for the general public. I messaged her privately. And I said, I understand that you don't like hunting. But 
before we begin this conversation, I just wanted to tell you a little bit about myself. My name is Dylan Ray. I live in Wellington, Kansas. I've got three beautiful children and one smoking hot wife. I'm 29 years old. <laughs> uh, I'm 29 years old. I I work at Place X. I do this for a living. I do that for fun. And and uh, I just wanted to, to, to tell you a little bit about myself. Um, but whatever questions you have about hunting, I'd I love to answer them for you and, and talk you through conservation efforts that hunters are doing. And, and, um, it was almost like a switch immediately flipped in her head. She like, it was almost like, Oh, I didn't even view you as a normal person. Like I didn't even view you as like somebody who functions in society. I just viewed you as like some mountain man who ran around ripping the hearts out of deer and eating them right there. Like, you know, that, but the whole perception immediately changed when she was like, oh, my kid goes to the same school as your kid. Like, my kid, my your wife's a teacher yeah. at my kid's school. Like, I never even, and and then the dialogue was opened. And then I got to lay out what hunters actually do and what hunters actually are, which is another thing that I think hunters need to be more informed on of conservation efforts in your local your local places in your states and the nation as a whole so that when these conversations come up, you as a hunter can say, well, this is what we as hunters are currently doing for the animal populations. What are, what are you doing for the animal populations? Like you say you love the animals, but we're constantly putting money and efforts towards furthering, you know, deer populations in, in Kansas and sheep populations in Oregon. And, you know, hunters just put up $3 million to release X amount of sheep in Oregon and all, you know, all this stuff. And then non, then non hunter, non hunting public is like, man, you guys do care about the animals. Like, yeah, I care more about the animals than you could ever imagine. That also, that comes down to as hunters, you have to be educated as well not just to go kill stuff. And that's, that's a, just a general standard that as a whole, like, yeah, there's many things that we need to change. Like what I said earlier, whether it's social media or whether it's when you're driving in public, but you have to, um, educate ourselves so that we can carry ourselves unanimously as a whole and as a positive group and as a team, because right now that's, that would be another one of the issues. Like you asked, what are some things that we need to change? Hunters being educated in general, because right now yeah. you have, you have your guys that are just the ones that want to go kill stuff. Then you have your guys that are super like, they won't, they're scared to tell anybody or they don't want to show anybody because they know that somebody is going to judge them for what they're doing. And you have your guys that are proud that are really educated and want to help people. And then you just have people in between and there's all sorts of different places and where you fall, but wherever you fall, we got to try to carry ourselves to everybody else that is not a hunter as, as what you just explained and understand those things and be able to, each of us need to be able to explain things like that because if you're going to do it, you better understand it. So. Yeah, for sure. And that's why I think if you're going to get a kid involved in hunting uh, or, or an adult onset hunter, if you're, if you're, if you're recruiting a new hunter, I think that the lessons about why we hunt and 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 the reasons we hunt and conservation efforts and and all of that information needs to be given just as importantly as how to hunt as as how to pull a bow back as how to pull yep. how to shoot the arrow where to, shot placement because 
it's going to help in the retention of that hunter, but it's also going to help in the education of that hunter, which will then in turn help continue to grow the community because man, I've had some deep conversation with my kids. Like we're going out hunting for the first time and, and you know, I'm teaching them about rubs and scrapes and we're going to hunt here because the rub line and, and all that stuff. And, and that's cool. But I want to have the conversations with my kids about, Hey, we can only kill one deer in Kansas. Here's why. Um, Hey, we can't shoot that doe because she still got fawns on her tits. And here's why we're not going to kill her because we don't want to kill the two fawns too. And, and teach them about conservation efforts and teach them about, you know, Pittman Robertson tax and teach them about like what we as hunters are actually doing in the woods. And my, my kids now are, are even educated to that point. Like my 12 year old can have a conversation about, about why dad can only kill one buck and about why dad needs to kill that one buck and, you know, paint it simply for him. Like, don't, don't, I'm not telling you to throw out a bunch of statistical numbers to a, to a 12 year old. But, you know, I just taught my kids yeah, about help them understand it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I taught my kids about natural resources and, and about how, like, listen, we need to kill the, the six and seven year old bucks so that the three and four year old bucks can can grow up and get bigger, too. Um, and, you know, teaching them about how there's only X amount of food out there for the deer. And if nobody hunts them and kills them, they'll starve to death because there's not enough food to, to maintain them all. And we as hunters. You know, we need to take the mature animals off of the ground so that the, the smaller animals can grow up and get bigger and stronger and uh, and continue to breed and, yep. and th- therefore help the herd. And, and they're like, oh, I never thought about that. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's simple. I'm like, I just asked my 12 year old. I'm like, hey, what happens if I invite somebody to come live in our house? And they're like, yeah, that'd be we have a, a guest room. They could live there. I'm like, yeah, they could. I'm like, what if I invited a family to live in our house? And they're like, well, yeah, I mean, we got to pull out so the mom and dad could sleep on the bed and kids could sleep on the couch. And yeah, that, Tucker could share his room. You know, we could do it. I'm like, okay, what if I invited 10 families to live in our house? She's like, well, the, there's not enough room. There's not, we couldn't do that. And I'm like, the same is true for the deer herd that we're trying to go out and hunt right now. The deer can't yep. live out there if there's too many of them. So we, as hunters, we help the population by killing them. And she was like, Oh, never even thought about that and so you know i think educating i think educating at the beginning stages helps in the recruitment and in the retention yeah i get on the topic of getting somebody new i think for for me and maybe you have something similar my scariest point of the start i guess it really never ends but start to finish of a new hunter is the moment that they get their first shot on an animal because after they do that everything depending on how long we've been like i've been teaching them how to scout or teaching them how to check cameras or teaching them how to shoot things like that however long we've been working on that the moment they release that arrow or they pull the trigger on a rifle whatever it is is the moment you're going to understand if they understand what they just did and Granted, every single person is going to, everybody's different. We're all going to have different reactions. Some of us are going to be like in shock. Some of us are going to freak out. Some, of, But no matter what, you're going to be able to see and you're going to be able to read on their face that once they do that, all their emotions are, they, you're not going to be able to hide them that well. And they're going to be, if they under, truly understand what they just did and why they just did it and how they did it and the reason behind it, 
you're going to see all the appreciation and the understanding behind their reaction. If you don't see that, that's what terrifies me because it's where's the disconnect? Why do they not understand the importance of what they just did? Because it is very important to understand that part. And so that, that to me has always been like my, that first one that is like, Oh, here we go. Let's, let's hope that they, I mean, I, we, I think we've done it all right, but we're going to find out real quick. So what are the steps you take in order to get them to understand that? Uh, do you do anything? So it depends for specifically. Me. I um, I, I want them. It The reason I say it depends is because I've gone from like some of the ones that I've just helped like practice shooting their bow or something and then taking them hunting a couple of times. And I've also had the ones like, like I've told you about my buddy, Joey, that literally throughout the summer, every day that I'm going to check cameras or I'm putting cameras out, I'm setting scrapes and rubs and everything, setting stands. He's been there through the entire process. And now he wanted to be there for the entire process because he was going to be hunting the same places. So he wanted to earn his, earn his keep kind of deal. But he also said, I want to, I want to come with you because I want to understand why you're putting a trail camera here, why you're doing this or why you're doing that. And I want to understand the sides of okay, I'm driving around and I can see there's this many deer here and understand the actual process of it. And in turn, what that has done is it allowed us to spend the amount of time together that we have those conversations of why we're hunting, why I'm looking for a specific deer, why I'm, why we're going to go into this with, okay, you're going to try to any, any doe that comes in, as long as there's not fawns, whether we're it's go time because you need the experience and we need to knock our doe population down. So all those things come into play. So my tip would be if you can spend the time with them and bring them along with you and your endeavors before season or whatever you're doing to prepare, that's the best time. And instead of doing something, do everything and narrate what you're doing because you do not understand the amount of things that whether you've been hunting for a year or 50 years, the amount of things you're doing as you're going and they're questioning behind you, like, why did he just do that? And it might be something really, really little for you but for them, they're going to pick up on that. And so that's some, the way that I've always taught. Um, but some of the main steps that I'll always take is one, we're going to, we're going to practice with whatever weapon it is. We're going to practice and make sure you're efficient. And number two, you're going to understand that what we're going after and how we're going to go after it. And number three, properly handling the actual situation of the hunt all the way to being able to recover the animal. And those are the basics of what I want them to understand. But I, all the, all, a lot of the conservation and a lot of the education and a lot of the, um, the really deep stuff of understanding, I t- tend to do that in action as in like, Hey, let's, why don't you, uh, meet me out here? We're going to go check a couple cameras, meet me at my house. I'll take you out there. And that's where I kind of am showing them in the field. This is why we got to do this. This is why we got to do that. And I think that that really, really helps, um, people, grasp the whole process of it a lot quicker they become a better hunter quicker and they understand why they're hunting a lot quicker as well and i think again it goes back to showing somebody the entire process it's not just going and killing and um you know i that was that was shown to me hardcore this year because i tried to make it a a point to take my son he's four years old but i tried to, to make it a point to take him to hang stands, to set blinds, to check cameras, to put out, you know, feed or to whatever. I tried to make it a point to take him with me. 
and he's only in half days of school. So uh, I pick him up at uh, 10.45 every morning from preschool. And so this one particular morning, I went out and shot a deer. And uh, <coughs> my my processor, it was about 45 minutes away. And my processor was like two miles away. But I was like, man, I can't drop this off until I go and show my son. So I'm going to have to drive all the way back home to show him, then drive all the way 45 minutes back to bring it back to the processor. But I have to. Like, and I, I just had this like battle in my mind. I'm like, I don't want to, I'll just drop it off, show him pictures. I'm like, a FaceTime, I don't know. And so like, I'm like, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm taking it back. And so I leave that deer in my truck and I go pick him up from school and I walk up to the front door and it was obvious I was hunting. I was wearing all camo and boots. And he said, uh, did you go hunting? And I said, yeah, I did. And I said, I got something to show you in the back of my truck. And dude just took off running, just <laughs> sprinting over there. <laughs> Climbed up the back of the truck and he goes, oh, is this our deer? And at Aww. first I just thought it was cute. Like I was like, yeah, buddy, that's our deer. And uh, he said, we killed that. And uh, I was like, what do you, what do you mean, bud? And he said, that's, I helped you with those, you know, this, like he, he was a part of the process. So he's like, that was, was purposeful for him because he saw the work that he put in come to light and he was like man we killed that deer and i'm you like you gotta reap sure... the reward yeah i'm like we sure did buddy and uh and so i told him you know i've got a trophy room downstairs and uh where i like to put all my trophies and i i told him i said hey bud how about we how about we put this one in your room how about i mount it and put it in your room and he was like yes i get to have a deer in my room but i showed my son the entire process and he felt as though he was educated enough as to i worked hard and this is what we got in reward. And, uh, you know, yep. now he's already asking me. That's like, really impressive for a four-year-old. Yeah. Well, it, dude worked. Like, he he legitimately worked. Like, yeah. there were times, I mean, you know, summer, I'm out there hanging. <clears throat> in the summer, I'm out there hanging tree stands. And, uh, and he, you know, he's sweating to death. Like, it's 110 degrees. And, and I'm like, buddy, just a little bit longer. We just got to, you know, we got to trim these couple more sticks and hey can you pull those sticks over there for me out of the way and i mean he worked for it and um i did i took him out a few times with me in in the early season you know on on the bad days uh because i wasn't going to take him and blow a big chance but um and so we took him and, and we hunted and had fun and but then when it happened it was like i know how this happened i know the work that went into this happening um and it was special man and all of that I learned, like if you'll show people, kids, adults, anybody who's becoming a new hunter, if you'll show them the entire process, it'll be a life-changing difference. Yep. I 100% agree. And it, and it sticks with them a lot longer. And then, then in turn, now when your kid is 12 and he's going to hunt or something, or even if maybe before that or after that, he's going on his first hunt alone or something. Now he's going to be the one that's telling the kids at school or telling it, telling his buddies or bringing other friends like, Hey, you got to do this with me because he understands it full well. And he, you'll be able to sit there and say, I don't do anything, maybe give him a ride. But other than that, he's, yeah. he's got it because he understands it just as well as you do. Yeah. I'm taking him on a bear hunt this year. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> That'll be freaking cool. My wife is terrified. Yep, he's going to freak on, on that one. And I'm like, sweetheart, we're in a it's tree stand, and it's a black bear. Yeah, 
but uh i'm like it's it, it'll be fine but um it's what's funny is his birthday is september 2nd so i'm like well dude every year for your birthday the last two years i've been gone on his birthday um and so i'm like dude every year for your birthday we'll be on a birthday elk hunt you know as you grow up you'll be on an elk hunt every year on your birthday and uh he's stoked but yeah man i think i think when we show That's kids cool. the entire process it, it changes them and it it not only helps recruit them but it also again you're informing them so they can better represent themselves as hunters in the future and it'll help with recruitment of hunters i, I believe um but what do i know i guess <laughs> enough <laughs> you're right because you're right i mean what do i know either but i'm it's flat out it's just it's how a human operates if your younger generation understands something and respects something and they enjoy something they're probably going to grow into that and they're probably going to pass that on as well and that's exactly what we need yeah well and you know i want my kids to be able to be informed enough to where even when they're at school and one of their stupid little friends talk about how bad their dad is because he hunts, I want them to be educated enough to be able to say, well, my dad has to hunt. Like he needs to hunt. This is, this is why we, we ate dinner last night because my dad hunts and we see these deer grow up through trail camera pictures because of the conservation efforts of hunters like my dad. And, and I mean, I want them to be educated enough to not be influenced to think, is my dad a bad person for hunting? Like, is he yep. the criminal here? Um, and it's that's that only comes down to my responsibility. That's my job. Yep. Well, I'd say you're doing a good, pretty dang good job so far. Well, I appreciate it, man. Uh, but none as good as your rapper dad. Oh, gosh. Why did, you did not need to bring that up. I wish I could show that video. Oh, I can't believe you shared that the other day. I wish I could share that oh, video yep. right now for the for the people to watch. That was awesome. People's ears and eyes are both going to be bleeding. Your dad's a gangster. Hey, he tries. He thinks he is. That, but that <laughs> video that video also made him my least favorite of the holder. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny that's an old video man he's had that for like five or six years if you don't know what i'm talking about go to facebook and is it just on his page or is it on the the race hunting page I, no it's, it's on david holder <laughs> it's not on the race hunting page. he said we wouldn't he said we won't allow that to be on the on the page <laughs> yeah we gotta we gotta filter some of that stuff out I think we're going to have him do a concert next year at Pope Young. Uh, He's going to have to come up with some rap name for you. (laughs) So, Easton, I ask all of my guests, what's one hunting 101 tech tip you got for us? Field note, something that you've learned over the years that I can take and the listener can take and make us better hunters. Pertain to a certain uh, species or any species? Anything anything or gear or um scouting doesn't matter any kind of tip well i'll do two tips i'll do one for turkeys and one for whitetails and they're both somewhat similar but for whitetails i'd tell you uh one of the biggest tips that i've learned recently is i scout a lot and i do a lot of scouting um the biggest 
actual help that I've had is the amount of cameras that I have out during the summer and everything. I can see, I'm paying attention to what deer are here and what deer are there. Um, and, and when they're there and times of day and stuff, if you want to focus on a couple of different deer, you want to see like where certain bucks are going. I now write almost a map of everywhere they've been. And at times, and I'll use Onyx and I'll mark like, okay, they're here on seven, four at four forty in the afternoon, something like that. And what that does is you'll start seeing, you'll start seeing like a big pattern. And you'll say, okay, they were here two days ago and then they stayed for two days. And then they went to this place for two days and they stayed there for two days. And all of those things that sounds like something that you would probably already do, but unless you like actually draw that out or record it somewhere, you'll start finding patterns in deer, even, and this will create controversy, but you'll find patterns of bucks even during the rut I have found, because I've found deer that'll do the same exact thing. They'll be random throughout the day, but they're in the same exact areas for a three, four day period, because that's what they're doing. And that's their, their, their routine right there for the next couple of days. And so for whitetails, I, anybody, if you have, if you're paying enough attention or even just what you physically see them write stuff down, like where they're headed, what time of day it was, the weather. And then you start noticing patterns as to where they are and you'll narrow yourself down real quick where you need to be hunting. Yeah. Um, the other one, uh, just a really quick one for turkeys. Anybody that turkey hunts, everybody just walk, or not everybody, typically people waltz right into turkey season, just going, okay, I'm going to go out in the morning and see where I hear them or maybe roost them the night before. A biggest tip I can give you, go scout um, like a month before your season and see where those birds are at. Now, everybody's going to be a little different because all the seasons are completely different in pretty much every state as to when they start. But find your turkeys before you actually have to go in there and then go to where the turkeys are at. I mean, it sounds very logical, but if you do your scouting beforehand, oh my gosh, last year I didn't scout at all. And it was, I mean, you can find your birds, you can hear your birds in the mornings or at night and you can go roost them, but you're not always going to have that little edge of, okay, I know they come right here and strut. So I'm going to be right in that area. And this year I went three for three, three days, three shots because of scouting and knowing where those birds were at. So Take the time to scout a little bit. doesn't have to be a lot, but do it even for turkeys too, and it'll help you tremendously. That's awesome, man. Good tip. I uh, I thought you were going to – when you said turkey and deer, I thought you were going to share. I I had a buddy one time. Um, well, he was on the show, um, and he shared a tip, and he said, uh, carry a turkey call in your mouth all deer season long. And I'm like, why? Like, And he said, because – if you make a step wrong as you're walking in and a deer hears you and, you know, spooks or whatever, and, and they don't see you though, if you just let out a, then they just think it's a turkey and they just go right back to being normal. You know, they just, and I'm like, that's actually Has pretty he tested solid this? advice. Yeah, apparently, apparently yeah. he does it all the time. He's like, dude, there's been times where I'm climbing my ladder and like a deer will like spot me like up in the tree. And he's like, I'll take off my hat and like flap it. And, they'll like they just automatically start thinking it's a turkey again and just go right back to being normal and i'm like that's actually pretty intelligent it makes a lot of sense but i never thought of it me neither but uh wow. that's why i have people share tips because it changes things man yeah but sure enough there you go i i that's tried it cool. opposite um so like this year i was walking into my stand and i just carried my grunt call like i had it out and it was middle of the rut here in Kansas and a deer spooks 
it it jumps up, runs off, oh boy, bounds twenty yards, you know, or whatever. And so at this point he's like sixty yards away, and so I just like tuck right back behind the tree, and I just start grunting, and all of a sudden that deer starts coming right back to me because he never saw me; he just heard something walking through the woods. And so when yeah. I started grunting, he immediately thought, oh, it was another buck. And so he starts coming right back to me. Yeah. Ended up being a little deer. I didn't shoot it, but I called him I called him right back to like 15 yards because he thought I was a buck coming into his bedding area. And um, yeah, I mean, so yeah. I can see it working for turkeys too. I mean, just letting out a little well, that, a, a little chirp, let them know, hey, that's nothing a, dangerous. That's another good tip for whitetails. Um I don't know if you, if you're ever in a situation where maybe the wind isn't blowing to anything, like you have it, you have a doe blowing or something or a buck blowing at you in certain situations. Like there's times where I know the wind isn't blowing to them. I know there's not a very good chance that they even saw me. They're just being weird or nervous for some reason or whatever. And I blow back at them. And a lot of times if you do it right and, the, and it's the right situation, they'll stop blowing right there and be like, Oh, it's just another deer. And they chill and they'll, they'll go back to feeding, doing their thing. Yeah. Good tip, man. Guys, not knowing the law is not an excuse for breaking the law. And sometimes going through different state agency websites, they're clunky, they're hard to get around, they're hard to understand, they're they're not laid out well. They're just difficult. And for guys, especially who hunt multiple states, um, you're bouncing between states, you're going different places. Sometimes it's hard to keep up with season dates, bag limits, laws, rules, regulations. Seasonreport.com is your one-stop shop for everything you need to know about every state you hunt in. You can save the, the counties that you hunt in inside your portfolio, and then you can look at everything on a calendar view. So I can see when the seasons open and close in Oklahoma and Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas. I can see when all those season dates are open, when they overlap with rifle season, so I know when i got to throw my orange on. I can see everything on one easy-to-use, easy-to-understand platform, but also... Every rule, law, regulation, it's right there. I don't have to go through the state clunky agency websites. It's all right there in one place for me to look at. Easy to understand, easy to follow. Guys, this is something that I it saves me every year. I check the, the I check it out every year. Um, I look at it before every hunt to make sure, you know, something didn't open or close that I didn't know about. Guys, this entire platform is just ten bucks for the entire year. It's the best 10 bucks, in my opinion, that you can spend on hunting and making sure that you're covered as far as the law goes. Guys, use code HUNTING101. That's all caps, HUNTING101. And get that entire platform for just 10 bucks for the entire year. I would highly, highly encourage it. Again, it's the best 10 bucks that I believe you can spend in a season. Easton, where can they find everything that the holders got going on? Yeah, if you guys just look up Raised Hunting on Google or any uh, search engine, pretty much, you'll find us, find our website. We're on Facebook, uh, Instagram, all social media. Um, we do have a Raised Hunting podcast that we do that's on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Music, or I guess Apple Podcasts. Um, so pretty much anywhere on there, YouTube and everything. So tons of content on YouTube for you guys, a lot of behind the scenes stuff as far as tips and tricks and how we do things. So. There's all sorts of things to get caught up with us and follow with us. And we got a lot of a lot of new products and stuff coming out this year too. So stay tuned for that as well. Yeah. You guys go check them out. The holders are some of the best in the business. I thoroughly enjoy their entire family, just Easton, just a little bit more than everybody else. So uh, you guys go check them out <laughs> and uh, make sure and follow them. Listen to their podcast. It's a good podcast. But guys, thank you so much for listening. You guys have a fantastic week.